All right. Which is more gooder? Which is more gooder? Which is more gooder? All right. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Which is More Gooder podcast. I am your host, Scott White. And I have a new guest on, Mr. Bradley Dean White. Same last name, spelled differently. And Bradley and I are huge, huge monkey fans. So on this podcast, we're going to talk about the two best monkey albums while they were still the monkeys, all four of them. Their third album, Headquarters, and their fourth album, uh, Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones, LTD. Well, hi. How are you, Scott? I'm doing well. Uh, Bradley and I, we met through our local improv troupe here in Houston, and we both discovered we were huge monkey fans. When did you first discover the monkeys, Bradley? Um, well, uh, growing up watching the Monk Syndication, and um, but it was at that age that I don't really remember. It's just it's it's the it's that age where you remember that you at one time remembered something. So they were in the back of my mind as kind of this sort of dream memory of something. I was born in 1974, and I grew up in St. Louis. So I, I, would, I would suspect they were on syndication in like 76, 77, and we'd catch them on reruns if we were like on family vacations. But my brother was born in 69 and grew up with, with the albums. And so, you know, as older brothers uh, uh, do, they he had an influence on what I listened to. So we always had it in the house. And um, our, my first albums were the RCA uh, Laurie House uh, mail order release, which was a, a, to this day is my favorite survey of, of monkey songs and song orders all mixed up too, which is great because it adds more mystery to the band. You know, one minute you're hearing I'm a believer and the next minute you're hearing Oh My My. And uh, it, it's just the one band did all this, you know, so that and then instant replay, which is my personal favorite monkeys album, although I know it's not objectively their best, but it's my favorite one. So, yeah, always. I've just always they've, they've always been there. I watched them and I was born in 68. So I saw them in syndication as well. So they were actually in syndication while the monkeys were still together because when they played the monkeys in syndication, they would use songs off of um, what's oh Jesus I'm I'm I got a uh, turning my monkeys card changes Change. yes yes. Uh, yes with it was just down to Mickey and Mike uh, Mickey and Davy at that point yes and so while they were playing the monkeys in reruns they were using tracks off of those albums you know yeah. replacing the original songs that came out while they were the, the you know running the first time on air. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know the extent to it that, that they did that until I saw, I think, the first season of, of, the, of the DVD release that, that Rhino put out. And, and I saw just how many times in those first few episodes, I'm a believer, repeated. So I can only imagine, you know, mm -hmm. kids watching the show. What didn't it show twice a week or was it once a week? I, no, I think it was once a week. I think Batman was twice a week, but this was okay. once a week. But, um, but yeah, I can only imagine that. Like, imagine, you know, they, they, they come on the air after Last Train to Clarksville's a hit, and then the first few episodes start playing, and, and like, you know, every episode for a month and a half, or however many it was, they're hearing the same song with a different video to it. Um, what a brilliant 
what a brilliant way to advertise a hit song, you know? Um, oh yeah. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, I didn't realize the extent to which they, 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 they did that in syndication uh, until I saw that box set. And I was like, kind of wishing, oh, I wish that there was a, a bonus feature on those DVDs where they would play, where you could play the other, um, the other versions of the videos from various rerun uh, syndications. There is a Blu-ray release. So that, that okay. is out there. That's great. Yes, it is on the Blu-ray release. That's awesome. Well, I'll have to, I'll have to find a used one that isn't $500. Yeah, the monkeys were always in the background, but I really fell in love with them again when MTV did in 1986 did the the monkey marathon where they just they just played like 24 hours straight of the monkeys and they had the monkeys in studio all except for Mike at this time because this was 1986 so this is when Poolit came out. Yeah. So they were promoting that album and they were promoting the old television show and then that's when I really when it really locked in with me that I really enjoyed the monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was cool. Cause yeah, my experience with it was, Oh wow. I kind of have a vague memory of that episode. And the one where Peter has a thing with fortune cookies or, you know, these little things would pop up and then I'd see the whole episode. And yeah, that was a fun time. And it's, it, it's strange to think that MTV was still kind of in it, in its infancy when, when they, invested their time in that didn't mtv start in like 1982 82 and this so this was only like four years in you're right oh it's 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 really incredible um my my brother has vhs tapes uh of of the the pleasant valley sunday and and i think they called it pleasant valley sunday the weekend where they played everything um and and uh and then the interviews in between where they had them on as guest vjs um yeah, that was that was great. Those were great times. And then and then there were two albums that came out around that time. Well, three was the Missing Links uh, on Rhino, and then the the three um, the three new songs included on the Then and Now Greatest Hits set. And then the next year in '87, I guess, is when they did Pool It, um, which plays a lot better, by the way. If you make your own burn list and you add the three songs from that previous thing and throw them on there uh, pool it <laughs> pool plays better i think i yeah i have pool it and it's <laughs> i enjoy the album but i can it's like oh it's like okay and some of the songs it was just, okay ooh, all right <laughs> you know i i have to say i, I and, and maybe this will be a good segue into, into discussing these two albums that we're here to talk about but, um, and I think for me, it happened around quarantine. I regressed to all of the things I needed as a kid. I was just short of dragging a teddy bear around. I listened to nothing but monkeys. And I got into this phase of trying to remake monkeys playlists so that albums that I didn't, I wasn't so warm, warm to out that I learned to love. Right now, I'm not kidding. I listen to Pool It like three times a week. But I listen, but I, no, shut up. But I listen to my own version of it. I have a playlist that includes two of Nesmith's songs from the same time period. Um, the, the, the something in bowling. What is it? Um, it was his single. It was two of his singles that he released and made it like just a VHS tape for. Talon and bowling. Uh, what is it? That doesn't matter. Anyway, two, two Mike Nesmith sort of 
off singles from the mid 80s. And then also a song by Davey, Manchester Boy, from uh, his, <laughs> his book on tape. They made a monkey, I think it's They Made a Monkey Out of Me, or I Was a Teenage Monkey, or something. But it's a song, and it's uh, it's just a, an autobiographical tune. But I have a playlist that's my that's totally my Poolit playlist. I call it Splash. And 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 one night, <laughs> and one night, I even geeked out, and I made a cover on in Photoshop where I included Mike in the swimming pool with uh, an orange preserver around him. Why do I do these things? I, I think I'm I'm trying to re-edit. It's like George Lucas keeps working on Star Wars and re-releasing them. That's what I'm doing with my monkeys collection in my childhood. I'm, 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 I'm revising history to make it more palatable. <laughs> okay, so before we get into the albums, you were talking about revising history, and I we briefly talked about this before. So it has come out that Mike and Peter didn't really get along and I believe you said you chose to ignore that because yes. because it would it, it it tainted your your view of the monkeys. Am I am, do I remember that correctly? Yeah, yeah. Finding some of these things out are uh, disturbing for me. Uh, but you know, it could be that those things are overstated, and it very well could be that that conflict became more articulated, you know, in the later years. Uh, even even though I'm sure it's true, I mean I don't doubt. I'm not I'm not Andrew Sandoval. I, you know he's the authority on it, and so is Mike, and so is Peter with whatever it is they say. But yeah, it's 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 hard to think about, but it's they're only human, and and uh, and you know you and I are in the entertainment industry. We certainly know what it's like to have an ongoing relationship with a peer who you respect, but um, might drive you crazy. Yeah, and and I you know it. It, that seems like what it must have been, you know. Peter was the best instrumentalist in the band, and, and Mike was the most prolific writer. So the two of them probably had the most sophisticated musical um, musical taste, and maybe they butt heads for that reason. Also, Peter seemed really weird uh, in, in during that time. I feel like there was a time around like the late '80s where I saw an interview with Peter, and I'm and I thought, wow. That is someone who took a really long time to self-actualize, and then I and then I saw I saw them because he always just seemed awkward. You know, I don't know what it was with Peter. He he's just was strange. And then I saw them in concert in two thousand at Penn State. I was teaching at Penn State, and Peter was the best one on stage. He was the most handsome. He was the he was the most entertaining clearly the best uh, instrumentalist and Peter was, was killing it. And I, and I, I went with some people that uh, uh, didn't really know the monkeys except for the TV show. And they were like, I had no idea. Pete and Peter seemed like he was like the coolest guy in the band. Maybe it was that spiky hair. I don't know. But um, no, Peter's, Peter's cool. And uh, I think he was the monkeys uh, secret weapon. He, you know, on headquarters, he's, his playing is all over that. And when they were live, I don't know how they could have done their live work without Peter on bass. I don't know. I mean, there's nothing to those those live recordings. It's, they're, they're a sloppy garage band, but then you hear Peter doing all the sophisticated bass work and it just saves it, you know. So um, he's, he's amazing. All right. So... We're just going to get right into it now. We're going to compare the two albums. First, we're going to talk about Headquarters, 
released on May 22nd, 1967. It, it was certified as double platinum. It was at number one for only one week and then was immediately replaced by the Sgt. Pepper by the Beatles. It is also listed in the 1001 albums you must hear before you die. Oh, nice. Your overall thoughts of this album? Well, I it's, you know, Headquarters is probably the Monkees' most, like, pure album. Um, and uh, one of the geeky things that I did too during quarantine <laughs> was I photoshopped a new cover of headquarters <laughs> and I added Chip Douglas's picture in the huddle there on the front. Cause see, he, he pl- doesn't he play bass on every song on headquarters? I mean, you'd think Peter would, but I think he's doing keys and guitar or something. Okay. So I'm looking at the album right now and it says occasional bass, Chip Douglas. It says That's occasional okay. bass. All right. Well, for some reason, I think I was under the impression that that the occasional bass might have been an understatement when I was reading some other set lists. But anyway, he was their George Martin, right for that for that record. I think I think it's an amazing record, and um, in, similarly to how I feel about a lot of Monkey's records, I think that the track order is weird. I think I think there must have been a trend or something where they already assumed that they had your attention and they would save the really good stuff for side two of a lot of a lot of stuff like i'm a believer is the last song and more of the monkeys uh it should totally be the opener i kind of feel like um you told me is is a perfect opener for headquarters but then it doesn't it immediately go into uh um i'll spend my life with you yeah yeah it's just a strange you know that's not the trend these days you know, I, I think that you'd want to have like three songs that were just killer hits to, to, to really make a statement. And then the rest of it could unfold any way you want. But um, I think sonically, I think the album is, I don't know if I'm right or wrong about this, but to my ears, it feels like it has better fidelity than Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn and Jones, even if that album is more adventurous sonically and has more variety of stuff uh, on it. Um, headquarters just feels like a nice, clean, um, simple, straightforward album. And now, if you look at headquarters, you know, like a song that you associate with the monkeys, there's really not one on here. Well, uh, what about for Pete's sake? For Pete's sake, yes, because that became the closing credit of the monkeys TV show. I always get somber when I hear that song. Because it became the closing credit song of the Monkees. So when the last episode played, that was the last song that you heard from that incarnation of yeah, the Monkees, the television show. I know they went on to do other stuff. But to me, it's just a weird, somber thing <laughs> when I hear that. Because, you know, that last episode, that's yeah, yeah. the last, you know, I want to be free. Mickey just tailing off saying, I want to be free. And that's the last we get of the four monkeys on that television show. We must be what we're going to be. And what we have to be is free. Love is understanding. We gotta be free. Love is understanding. We gotta be free.
Yeah, well, you know, unless you're watching a marathon, in, in which case it's just uh, a doorway into a new episode. <laughs> but but I, I, I hear you. It, 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 it feels... Um, yeah, and, you know, I can't believe how good the playing is on that song. Um, isn't it strange that, that, that Mickey learned the drums so fast and just pulled that performance? Now, I know that it had a lot of editing. I know that Chip Douglas had to do a lot of splicing of different takes together for, for Mickey's drumming, and he was kind of inconsistent. But, I mean, the raw talent from, from, from Mickey, uh, who, who, in my opinion, is the soul of the group, um, he's, Davey's the heart, Mickey's the soul, Peter's the secret weapon, and Mike is the, I guess, the maverick or the brains. But, um, but Mickey's the soul, and, and the fact that he pulled off drumming on that album and I, and I enjoy his drumming some of it's a little crazy but I, as I'm listening I'm like wow I, there's a guy who didn't drum the previous year drumming all over this excellent record <laughs> I do respect that and the thing is he drummed on every single track on this album he was the drummer on all of them because when you I'm looking at the personnel and yeah. the only other people on there was somebody who played the cello, somebody who played the French horn, and Chip Douglas. So there was only three other musicians on this record besides the Four Monkeys. Yeah. But then after he learned to drum, he immediately stopped because I don't think he drummed on any of the songs on Pisces. I, I think that might be. Or if he did, he, he drummed on very, very little. It was like he learned it for this one album, and he yeah. pulled it off. Yeah. And then afterwards, he just drummed inconsistently. I don't think he drummed on any of the albums afterwards. He was just mainly the singer. You know, going back to what you were saying about the album not seeming to have any Monkees songs on it, I'm wondering, I mean, like Monkey hit songs that you think was the Monkees, since it was their third album away from, I know there's a couple of voice and heart tunes on there, but it doesn't feel like, definitely isn't a voice and heart album like the second one kind of feels like. And so... Um, because I, I feel like Randy Scoo's Git is every bit uh, a classic monkey song, as is I'm a Believer, even though it's a completely different kind of song. So, um, you know, it's possible that when many people think of the monkeys, they're thinking about the second album. The second album, I mean, for people who, like, yeah, the second album had Stepping Stone and I'm a Believer on it. And Mary, Mary, you know, those are the, the songs that people are like, oh, I know the monkeys. Um, you know, on that, though, I, I, I do think that the best way to listen to headquarters is to swap out because I look, they're fun novelties, but I don't need to hear them again. And that is zilch and the, the filler of the of Mickey drumming band six. Yeah. Swap them out with all of your toys and. And the single version, Mickey's vocal of uh, Girl I Knew Somewhere. And then you have a beautiful, well-rounded album that is pretty killer. Um, and Mike's, Mike's version of, of Girl I Knew Somewhere is fantastic. But, uh, but it, to my ears, I just always preferred Mickey's. And I, I think that the album plays really well if you add those, those two songs in. Yeah, and this was also the first album... Mike got songs on the first two albums, 
and Mickey got Randy Stouse Git on this one. Peter co-wrote for Pete's sake. So they actually got their songwriting credits on these albums. Still none for Davey yet. Yeah. Isn't it funny? I, I've been thinking about this uh, lately because I, I guess I've been seeing posts about it on the Zilch uh, podcast page that um, because Davey was kind of the face of the band, um, Davey, Davey, was, Davey was the one that, that seemed to be the most bankable because his, his fans were so passionate. Um, and how strange it is that he still feels like a niche uh, element to almost every Monkees album. Like, it, you know, it feels like it's the Mickey and Mike show on most albums. And uh, with the exception of Instant Replay, where it's Davey's finest hour, um, it's just, it's interesting that he doesn't sing lead on really that many songs. But I think the impression we're left with is he's Davy Jones. You know, he was, he, he was just a huge presence. And um, he was definitely the best looking and best actor of the, of, of the group um, and had the most sort of showman skill. Uh, Mickey was a good actor. I, I, I think Davey was still better. Mickey and Davey came from acting backgrounds. Yeah. And Mike and Peter came from musical backgrounds. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, what was it? Oh, I was going to say about the um, the authorship of stuff. Um, it's it's it, it strikes me as interesting as well that at least the way that Mickey tells the story about how it didn't really occur to him that, that it, it, to uh, to invest his time into writing songs until Mike challenged him and said, "Look, you know, if you really want to make some real money, you should you should probably start you know writing some some songs." And I just love how he just did this one thing and it just took off and became a huge hit for him. This album has one of my favorite Nesmith penned monkey song. You just may be the one. That's one of my favorite monkey songs. Yeah, I just love the ba- the bass opening. It's it's great. Yeah, Mike's it, Mike's stuff is just it, seems, it can be seemingly simple, um, but uh, he just had a good ear for, and he picked the perfect keys for everything too. Um, yeah, his stuff is great. Strangely, though, I, when I've, cause I, because I, you know, there were times when I'm like, Mike's my favorite monkey, right? And then I make a playlist of all Mike's stuff, and then I get bored after like four songs. I think, I think the strength of the monkeys is is hearing that weird mix between, you know, going from from each each monkey, you know, bouncing around. It it just it's it's sort of like the perfect uh, uh, blend of different sounds. You also get to hear. Peter, you get to hear him sing on the the Shades of Grey version on this song. Isn't it the perfect uh, use of Peter? It is that for that one line. And if if I'm and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe we hear him sing. I mean, maybe background, but we don't we don't get to hear him sing at all on the first two albums. I, you know, I'm not sure about that. That that might be true. Uh, well, except for Auntie Griselda. You are right but, about that. I'm but, sorry. Um, I, I one of the things that I was surprised by, I got I got the the the, um, the run out groove uh, edition on vinyl of of the uh, first two albums, and I was reading, and I was really surprised at how much I guess it'd be rhythm guitar or some filler guitar that Peter plays on the first Monkeys album. 
there's a significant handful of tracks where Peter is listed as one of the instrumentalists on the first Monkeys album, which um, I just assume that that uh, they none of them did anything on, on that album. But that's not the case. Peter shows up quite a bit. So that's, that's I good. I know Mike used him. Mike produced his own songs on the first album, and I know Mike used him on a couple. Oh, even okay. though they they didn't like each other, Mike yeah. saw talent and he used Peter on a couple of his songs that he produced himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you have you heard Mike's mixes of um, uh, uh, the kind of girl I could love? Have you heard Mike's mix of that? I have not. I have heard Mike's mix of Daddy's song from the movie Head, and yeah. I like that better than Davy's version. Okay. Yeah, his mix of uh, um, The Kind of Girl I Could Love has the, the, the harmonies are a lot more uh, forward in the mix, and um, it's just excellent. It's, it's easily... Oh, wait a minute. I have heard that. I don't yeah. know what I'm talking about. The Kind of Girl I Could Love. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah, yeah I, 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 I have heard that. Yeah, that is, and, and that's one he wrote. Yeah, yeah, and I guess, I guess he mixed his own version of it or produced his own version of it because they were trying to placate him. Uh, uh, but, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not such a geek on the history that I know all of those ins and outs, but I, I am under the impression that, uh, that uh, from the get-go, Mike definitely went in with, with, uh, with some serious self-possession and ambition to do his own thing from the very beginning uh, without really knowing the world he was in and uh, somehow managed to uh, get behind the, get behind to turn the knobs, which, you know, from, I'm sure from Davey and Mickey's perspective, they're like, dude, this is an acting gig. What, what are you doing? (laughs) But, um, uh, yeah, impressive, impressive that that he was that tenacious to uh, just say, I don't I don't I don't care what manners are, what protocol is. I've, I've got a thing I want to do. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Do you think the monkeys television show would have lasted longer if Mike just. Backed off and it was just, OK, I'll just we're, we're not going to play our own interest instruments. We'll do what you tell. Do you think it would have lasted longer if Mike and then the rest I, of the band didn't do. press I, I them think, to do their I, own thing? Yeah, yeah. I think they would have been a commercial success for longer if Don Kirshner stayed involved. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how well he would have aged. So, like, I think the monkeys have aged well because I think their history is so weird and it's so robust and it becomes so schizophrenic and you have all that genre whiplash in those later albums, which at the time was the beginning of their down. I mean, they, they just were just like a, a, a blip of popularity. And then they, it's, it's almost as soon as they were popular, they went back down into, into uh, obscurity. Uh, but I think over the years, I think, I think their history is kind of fascinating. And I think the, the whole illusion of, of stamping the monkeys on an album, like the monkeys present or instant replay, when clearly they're doing their own independent projects, that holds a lot of fascination for me. Um, and I, I think their, their, their deeper catalog is more interesting because of the choices that they made. This, song, this album also has Mr. Webster, which is, was never on the television show. This has got quite a, few, it's quite a few songs that were never on the television show. Uh, but Mr. Webster is my favorite non-television show 
song on this album. Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely. It sounds like something that would have been on Sgt. Pepper's. It does. It tell it it tells a very I don't want I guess nice it was a story about a man that just embezzles from his company and, and leaves him high and dry yeah. on the day of his retirement. And it's it's pretty great. It is pretty great. Then came the telegram from Mr. Webster. Said sorry, stop, cannot attend. I've flown away and taken all your money. Wish you were here to help me spend. And one by one, all the people left the party. And Mr. Frisbee locked the door. And I'm just wondering why that never made it onto the. It, it, you you look well, at these. I, it's I, like I can see why. What was it? Early morning blues and greens. That I could see why that didn't make it onto the show. Yeah, that. But that's a sleeper hit, man. That is a standout track. By the time, <laughs> by the time it gets to the instrumental, there, that's killer. I love that song, but I know what you mean. Yeah, maybe it's that Mr. Webster. I think you know a lot of things. A lot of things about. Uh, the lyrics of pop songs is if you're just using a part of the pop song or you're not really listening, the lyrics can have, can mean a lot of different things depending on the footage that you throw with it. There's a lot of random randomness and um, there's a lot of randomness and, and sort of serendipity when a video works. I mean, the fact that last train to Clarksville, their video was just classic, like, um, uh, uh, what's not vaudeville, but um, a classic melodrama scenario of, of a villain on a train. And I mean, that's not the real meaning of the song, but because it does mention trains, that's like a first idea. So, okay, so let's put on a mustache and a cowboy hat and let's do a train thing. Uh, but Mr. Webster, I don't know how you could throw that song onto any footage of Davy falling in love with somebody or them running away from, you know, the bad guy and his henchmen, and have that song really make any sense. Yeah, you're right. It is not, um, the monkey romps, as they called them, usually fell into two categories. It, either they were running away from the bad guys, or it was Davy in a romantic situation. And those are pretty much the only two monkey romps that we got. Yeah. And I and as and I think you've said it perfectly, I don't think that would have fit in either monkey's romp. Right, right. Although I'm sure somebody has created something with, you know, the, the, the trend of revisionist history. You can go online. Someone's probably made a video out of that by cobbling together other footage. And it's probably fantastic. <laughs> so. All right. Any other anything else you want to say about headquarters before we move on? Uh, no. Um, other than other than the fact that I hope that run out grooves um, that, that they release a. Uh, an edition like they did of, of monkeys and more of the monkeys. I hope they do head, headquarters next because uh, they'll have my money. <laughs> take my money. <laughs> Shut up and take my money. All right. So now we're moving on to Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones LTD. This came out in November 6th, 1967. Also went double platinum. 
and was at number one for five weeks until it was knocked off by the Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour. So the monkeys were dethroned twice in 1967 by the Beatles. So that means in 1967, we had headquarters, Sergeant Pepper, Pisces, and Magical Mystery Tour. Those four albums alone, besides besides all the other albums, those are four right. albums we had from 1967. And when did the and when did the Kinks come out with uh, Village Green? Oh, I I couldn't tell you that. Uh, hold on a second, because that is uh, that's a that's another classic. Let's see, that came out in 1968. Okay, but whatever. We all know the late 60s was the perfect time for. For pop music. It was. And of course, the, the title of the album is all their uh, astrological signs. However, Mike and Davey both have the same birthday, which means they had the both both the astrological signs. So they just put, you know, Jones, uh, yeah. but let's put Jones on there. Yeah. And they put LTD, uh, which means limited liability which means not responsible for for things that have happened. Do you think they put that on? It's like <laughs> we are not responsible for the albums that came before us. That's kind of cool. That's a cool way to think about. It. I, I don't know. I never really thought about it. Yeah, I, I never. Uh, th- I thought about. Yeah, you know what? We're not responsible for the television show or the stuff that came. We're responsible for this. This is what we're responsible for. This what? Yeah. So, what do you think? I, I mean, I think it's their best album. I think this is their best album. Uh, I think it's their best album. And the, the only thing is, and, and, and I don't know if it's because I have just listened to too much Monkees in my life, but I decided it was my favorite Monkees album and it was their best album many years ago. And I've overplayed it. And it's not the one that I listen to most often. Um, and when I do, I'm always surprised at how thin uh, some of the music production sounds and, and, and I don't know if it's just maybe the rip that I have or the, 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 you know, or maybe I'm listening to the remastered version of headquarters in comparison, but I produce music myself. And so I, one of the things I'm always listening for is, is, uh, you know, the mix of stuff. Cause I want to learn as I'm listening and, um, and, um, you know, a standout track, uh, door into summer is really great. And then, I'm listening and I'm getting into the groove of all the songs on that. And then I'll put on like Revolver by the Beatles. And I'm like, oh, my God, (laughs) Fidelity is so much better. Like, I I would have thought that that uh, I mean, I understand that the first two albums are the the whole company is just getting their feet wet with this idea. But that headquarters just sounds like it was pretty pristinely produced. And for some reason, um, with the exception of like Pleasant Valley Sunday and some, some of the other standout moments on Pisces and Aquarius, Capricorn and Jones, um, the fidelity of that album feels kind of inconsistent to me. It's kind of all over the map. Is that just my own brain thinking that, or have you ever observed that? I I haven't observed that, but then again, you are a trained musician, and this is stuff that you have an ear for. We we were talking about how they leave like the monkeys, it's like they were already hooked, they already had an audience, so we can put I'm a believer as the last song yeah. on the second side. If they, in my opinion, if they replaced Pleasant Valley Sunday and she hangs out, if they would have switched those songs and Pleasant Valley Sunday was okay. on side yeah. one, yeah, yeah, that might be the most perfect album side I've ever heard. Yeah. 
I hear that. I, I agree. I, as a matter of fact, I made a playlist of that one too recently where I was like recurating it for my, for my own, for my own ears and preferences. And the album plays really well. If you open it with love is only sleeping, then, uh, I think pleasant Valley Sunday would be next. And then daily nightly. And then, you know, the rest of the album kind of unfolds from there. And the other thing that I would change if I changed anything, God bless Davy Jones, is I would replace um, It's hard to believe. That one. I'd replace, I, would, I, think, I think I'm a believer, a, a Daydream Believer belongs on that album. I think Daydream Believer. Oh man, if Daydream Believer was on this album, yeah. It, it, it just belongs on it, it you know, because Chip Douglas gets a shout out on the next album because it wasn't his his project, but it says Daydream Believer produced by Chip Douglas because they they needed to put put it somewhere because it was already a hit. Uh, I, I think it belongs on Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones. And in another conversation, I would say that um, the monkeys, um, uh, the birds, the bees, and the monkeys for the last year has actually been my favorite album to listen to of the, because of the playlist that I, I put into it. I with here, here just real quick as a segue, here is how, uh, here is how birds, of the bees and the monkeys should be listened to. Alvin goes first, the, the acapella song by Peter. Then it goes into PO box nine, eight, four, seven. Then it goes into tapioca tundra. Right. So we've already set up this is going to be a psychedelic album. And then and then from there it unfolds and you have to you've got to take out a couple songs, though. You have to take out the poster, Davies song, the poster, and I think another Davies song. And you have to add Peter's uh, tear the top right off my head, his instrumental Seeger theme. And you have to add D.W. Washburn to that album. And if you have the right order, then you have an album that tells the story of loss and then righting your wrongs, pun definitely intended with Nesmith's writing wrongs. And then, it, and then the whole album finishes with Zor and Zam. Uh, it, it's, it's a, I'll have to send you the playlist. It becomes as good, in my opinion, as uh, Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones when you mix those songs up. All right, I'm done with that. Done with that tirade. That's all right. Yeah, that's what we're here. We're here to talk about the monkeys. My favorite monkey song is Pleasant Valley Sunday. So that has so that's so this album goes up in my view because but it's also attached to Peter Purcell Patterson's Pet Pig Porky. How do you what how do you think of that? Uh, it, Peter Purcell Patterson's Pet Pig Porky. If you're listening to this, you're a monkeys fan, so you know what I'm talking about. It's just a, it's a 20-second spoken word story by peter popping his peas and then it goes right into pleasant valley sunday do you like the flow of that of peter Purcell patterson right into pleasant sure. valley sunday sure yeah. <laughs> but uh but i could do without it if i was making a playlist of my own it's it's like zilch i could do without it but yeah i, I think the first time i heard it i thought it was odd because the timing of it is definitely intended to be ironic and do you know what he did he popped and then it goes right into it and that's that's fun but uh yeah you know 
they, they experimented with randomness just like the, the Beatles did. And I think that that must have just been a thing that Peter did. Like if you remember in Peter's audition, he came in and without them asking him anything in the footage that I, I saw, he just immediately goes into phonetically um, pronouncing the alphabet backwards. He comes in and he goes, he goes, that's the alphabet backwards, playing his kind of his earnest character that he, he played. And I just think Peter just had these like little bags of tricks that he just liked to do. I, I was listening to um, uh, a uh, some old archival recordings of their first tour that one time when they took over the radio station. And um, Peter got on the microphone and without any kind of like leeway, just went right into that and did that Peter Percival thing. And this would have been, you know, before, definitely before they recorded it for the, the album. So I think Peter just had this like bag of performers tricks and these fun things that he liked to do. And uh, he just found a good opportunity to throw it in there. <laughs> so sometimes I listen to the monkeys on Spotify and they will play Peter Purcell Patterson, but it does. They they play it as a separate track. So when right. it stops, I'm always expecting Pleasant Valley Sunday to start, and when it doesn't, I'm just always a bit jarred that yeah. I'm not hearing <laughs> after because after all those years of hearing it on the album like that. Peter Purcell Patterson had a big name, Orky. This big name, Orky, loved pie. He loved pizza pie, pumpkin pie, pineapple pie, pizza pie. Mince tarts, and Peter Percival Patterson's big porky loved pie for breakfast, pie for lunch, pie in the afternoon, and pie before he went to bed. Peter Percival Patterson's big porky ate so much pie that do you know what he did? He popped. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, yeah. You put it on shuffle, and then then it's like that leads into something completely, you know, inappropriate. <laughs> Speaking of putting, so this is since we were, we brought up the Beatles before. Uh, I listened to I listened to Abbey Road on shuffle, so that really screws up that final oh, melody I, of. Yeah. The, of the of Abbey Road. If you listen to Abbey Road on Shuffle, it totally ruins the album. It's like, do not listen to Abbey Road on Shuffle. <laughs> yeah, I've always thought, wouldn't it be interesting if somebody came out with an album where all of the, ver like, it would be like Legos, like Sonic Legos, where all of the verses and choruses were split up in separate tracks, but rhythmically they were worked out to where they, were, they could all potentially be compatible if, they, if it were on Shuffle. You know, so that you listen to a song and it's different every. You listen to an album, it'd be different every time you heard it, but it would be feel seamless on shuffle because it would have been mixed and recorded that way. I always thought that would be an interesting trick. Pleasant Valley Sunday is my favorite monkey song, but I just adore the door in the summer and love is only sleeping. I just adore those two tracks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I am. Uh, for me, the monkeys always felt like such a personal. Uh, thing and 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 the, the the songs that I really took to Door into Summer, Love Is Only Sleeping, being two of them, just like 
well, how you describe. I mean, you, you took the words out of my mouth. And I, but I always felt like I was before the internet that I was like the only person that really listened to the, the, the deeper catalog of the monkeys. Cause um, I was, anytime I tell someone I listen to the monkeys, they go, Oh yeah, liquid paper. And then they would sing the, the theme song, you know? And like, that would be the extent of anybody's knowledge. Right. Um, but then I was at a Houston concert with Peter Davey and Mickey back in 2013 or whatever. And they got ready to announce, by the way, they said our next song, we've never played it live before. And in my head, I was like, Oh, because Mike was there. No, it wasn't Davey. Sorry, it was Davey had passed, so it was Mike, Peter, and Mickey. Um, and Mike, and, and and I was like, oh my God, they're going to do Door into Summer. And they did, and the audience, when they heard the first uh, riff on the guitar, they went nuts. And I'm looking around, and it's like junior high kids and parents and, you know, 12-year-olds with stocking caps with four buttons on the front. And you're like, everybody loves that song. Everybody loves Door into Summer. Um, I thought it was just me. <laughs> yeah, and in Love is Only Sleeping, I'd love to hear that live, but I guess I won't now. But um, that sounds like a, a really, that sounds like that'd be a really hard song to perform live. It's got some really weird time changes in it. I don't, I have the Mickey and Mike album, the Mike and Mickey album, the, the final live album. There's no Love is Only Sleeping. And if you look on YouTube, a lot of people have tracks. There is no live version of Love yeah. is Only Sleeping. I think it's, I think it's complicated. Uh, I, I can't figure it out. I mean, there are days when I think I've figured out the timing of it. She looked at... Yeah, I mean, the whole... Sorry, I was just going through it in my own head. But it, it, uh, the timing of it is weird. And I would think that if you, if you uh, have a bunch of musicians and they've got the charts in front of them, if you have a really weird time signature, it's not necessarily an easy song to predict or intuit. Because um, a lot of those musicians, I mean, I'm sure after the tour, they know the songs backwards and forwards. But it wouldn't be a first go-to because it would probably take more rehearsal than uh, uh, some of the other tunes. And maybe Mike, maybe Mike couldn't hit notes or maybe his voice had changed because... I know that happens to the singers, so maybe he just, because there's a lot of high, you know, he goes really high in that song. Yeah, isn't um, it amazing how high he could sing? I, I I can't believe, you know, Mike's talent is just off the charts. I, I Whenever I read, like, any history blippets of how, you know, Mike had only been playing rhythm guitar for a couple years or whatever, three years before he auditioned for the Monkees, and then by the time they did Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones, I I think that that beginning lick, Pleasant Valley Sunday, is is executed by him on guitar. I didn't know he could. It do is. All. It is executed. Yeah, by him. I, I yes, thought. I thought. Oh, he's a singer songwriter. He's a, he's a strummer and a picker, and he's doing this complicated thing. Um, and then vocally, my God, his. You know, you don't. Maybe I don't know. Maybe people do think of Mike as being a great singer because he certainly was. But I think that. When you think of the monkeys, I think for the vocalists, most people think of Mickey and, and Davey. Um, right. Uh, Mike was just a flawless singer in the studio. He was killer. Um, and, and he could go so high. And Mickey, too. God, Mickey's voice. I mean, on, on instant replay, some of, <laughs> some of the stuff that he's hitting for Shorty Blackwell and for uh, uh, Through the Looking Glass, he gets way up there, you know. Um, yeah. 
But speaking of Mike as a singer, uh, this is the most he sings lead on like five of the songs, which really didn't have. He was it was like usually only one or two per album. Yeah, and and but and he's there's not much Mickey on comparatively speaking. There's not much Mickey on on this album. Mike is brought up in this album, and Mickey is brought down in this album as yeah. the amount of tracks that they sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and and um, it, it's it's so cool to me that that so many people think that that's their finest hour, um, because uh, it, it's sort of the perfect blend of uh, of their own contributions as instrumentalists and songwriters, plus the, that old model of working, of collaborating with just as many people as possible to just get a good hit. And I think that song after song is just incredible. I, I think after they put in all the work at headquarters, they were like, okay, we did it by ourselves. Why don't we get a little help on this one? We'll still be involved in it, but we're yeah. going to bring in more session people to help us out. And I really think it shows in this album. Yeah. Uh, and also the Moog synth, the Moog synthesizer. I know I'm not a synthesizer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Mickey brought that in for a couple of songs. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Uh, uh, what, what do you think about that extended uh mix of um star maker star maker what is this i'm not listening to the fame soundtrack star collector star collector yeah <laughs> star collector um the the extended the extended you know freak out mix of that is, is is a lot of fun it is a lot of fun it was like they were taking him uh, mickey said he was influenced by the doors he heard he heard the synthesizer he heard it on the i'm just gonna say moog since i can't say synthesizer moog <laughs> on uh, uh, the Doors album, they knew what was happening. It was like Mickey was Mickey discovered Jimi Hendrix for crying out loud. He yeah. was in England and he saw Jimi Hendrix and he, you know, Mickey had his ear open. Mickey had his eye open. He knew what was happening. He's, you know, he's he heard the Moog. He heard Jimmy, yeah. and he tried to bring it in and incorporate it with the monkeys. Yeah, yeah, um, and I also love how Mickey just really embraced like R and B music there towards the end uh you know speaking of like his his ear for uh, other sounds um and by the time changes happen and they did were doing their bubblegum sold thing i i love that just that that mickey just and why didn't he like do kind of a james brown kind of send up too during the tour where they came out with a cape and the monkeys live concert they it was different I remember I I heard something. It was different. The Beatles just came out and they sang as the Beatles. It was always a group. Sure. They were always singing together. Each monkey had their own spotlight. So Peter would come out and do the banjo. Yeah. And yeah. Mike would come out and play the maracas. And yeah. Davy would be do a soulful ballad. And Mickey's was Mickey was like, I want to be James Brown. So he got out there <laughs> yeah. and he sang and the and the you know the cape and and Davey put the cape on him and he it, so not only was the monkeys concert fun music wise it was also a show whereas yeah. the beatles pretty much stood around and played their instruments right um, yeah well they were yeah it's they they really embraced this idea of like we're in especially Davey and mickey you know we're entertainers we're 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 showmen and um 
it's, it was just really smart that they that they were cast with one eye on. Well, I guess they had an eye on looks too because they were all handsome, but an eye on uh, uh, talent as well as an eye on uh, musical talent as, as well as an eye on people who, who can deliver a line. Uh, and they all wound up complimenting one another. You know, they all rose to the occasion, and and pretty fast too. I mean, they put, put they put in the hours certainly, and they put in the overtime. But uh, they were kids. They were kids with a TV gig, <laughs> and and they were like, oh, "What can you do?" Uh, okay, I've got this Peter Parsifal thing, and then I can play banjo. Oh, what can you do? Oh, I don't know. I've got a great James Cagney impression. Okay, let's throw that in. I mean, just this idea of like, let's just throw a bunch of stuff at the wall, see what sticks, uh, captured on film or, or uh, on, on tape. And uh, it's just what an entertaining, what an entertaining collection of, uh, of content. It's, uh, it really is, when you think about it, they really are kids because they're in their early 20s. Yeah. And and that's just got to be just the whirlwind of I'm at the top of the world in my early 20s. I'm in obscurity in my mid-20s. It was like... Yeah. Yeah. I it, it, And they were such a... But isn't it, this is, this is the thing that I try to tell other people when, I, when they're like, so what's, what's the deal, man? Don't you know the Beatles are the best band? I'm like, oh, no, I, I agree. The Beatles are the best band that ever lived and ever will be. But the Monkees are my favorite. You know, the, their, their history is just so strange. And the fact that they only get better and more interesting as Rhino Records continues to reframe and re-release content um, it's no wonder that we're having a conversation about, oh, wouldn't uh, headquarters be better if we added these songs and swapped these things around? Because all of those handmade sets, all the deluxe editions, all of that other content that was released well after the time that they were active as, as either a band or as individual musicians under the name of the Monkees, uh, it's just asking for people to... to, to, to uh, you know, to crowdsource everybody's uh, take on how to curate the monkeys. They, they are forever flexible in people's imagination because everyone's playing along with this sort of Pinocchio fantasy. I think the monkeys might have the most greatest hits albums ever. Oh, really? I, <laughs> I, but just look, there, there's like dozens of... Yeah. You know, the monkey's greatest hits out there. And most of all, it's mostly the same songs, but there are so, so many. Some legitimately, and then some like these bootleg ones. And yeah, it's uh uh it's it's strange for a collector. I'm a collector, but I'm not too much of a completionist. It's 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 because if I were, I'd be in a lot of trouble. If you go, I, 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 I 100%. You've actually summed my life up as well. I like to collect, but I'm not a completionist. That's yeah. perfectly the way you said I, that. I would be in a lot of trouble. Uh, you know that that website, monkey45s.com. If you've ever been there, it's um, or monkey45s.net. Well, some dot something, but it's uh, uh, an archive of the covers of every legitimate and illegitimate monkeys anything. And uh, if you go surfing through there, you can find the Japanese releases of stuff and stuff from Egypt 
you know, um, but yeah, the, the, the greatest hits, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. What, one of the ones that I would love to acquire though is I think it's a Japanese one. I'm not sure. It's called golden story. And it's only cause the cover is just crazy. It's got like some sixties sort of cartoony psychedelic art on the front with a picture of them in their red double, double breasted, uh, button shirts on the front. And, um, and then the, 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 uh, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe I'm mixing up two sets, but it is Japanese, the inside sleeve of the records appear to be like re-released as different volumes. And they are some crazy art from whatever Japanese graphic artists they had, where they would draw their face inside plant leaves and all kinds of other crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, I, would, I wouldn't mind collecting some of that stuff. But boy, yeah, we would be in trouble if we needed to collect everything that had the monkeys. Right. Stick. And speaking of album covers, I really enjoy the artwork on Pisces. Yeah. They're just, just it's just they're faceless. They're in, looks like they're in their monkey garb from the television show. But they're amongst these flowers. And, and this is, and something I've just realized is, so they drew Mike with it. I, Mike is without his hat on most of the album covers. I believe he's only wearing his hat on the first one, and is, uh, he's wearing it in this one. And I believe all the other album covers, he's not wearing his wool hat. I don't think I ever thought about that one way or another. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, because by headquarters, I think headquarters, it was like, a statement to not wear the hat but then again he didn't have it for the the second album either you know what right I just, because if uh, you watch yeah it wasn't in the second album and it's not but if you watch the second season of the monkeys he's pretty much done with the hat it pops up every once in a while sure, but he's pretty yeah. much done with it by the second season yes that's right yeah the second season they did a lot of experimenting with just the way the, the episodes were shot and uh and certainly with their their outfits, you know what I love are those outtakes from the second season where they, you know, clearly they've been on tour already and they're just like wired. And um, there's a confidence that they have, and just like you can just tell that they've just been working really hard and performing. They shine. They're, they're, they sort of they're comfortable in their skin, and uh, it's it's that one episode where. Davies just keeps cracking up. He's got to deliver a line to whoever the bad guy is behind a desk, some executive character. And at some point after several takes, he goes, God, I hate these kids. It's, <laughs> like, it's the monkey. It's the monkey pause one. Was that it? And, yes. And <laughs> it, oh God, I can't think of the guy's name. Video. Conrad. Uh, and I'll just also add to the video for She Hangs Out. Uh, Davies' confidence in that. And his swagger is so is is like I am now a bona fide seasoned rock star. It's really interesting to watch. He's just the, from the moment he starts snapping his fingers, and he's got that snarl in his voice. Do they run, they run, they do they run, run.
yeah that that was a that probably would have been a really interesting time for them after they've been on tour then they come back to shoot the tv show again and i'm sure they were impossible to uh, <laughs> to get a handle on for everybody else in the in the uh production team <laughs> All right, so we've uh, so we've talked about headquarters, we've talked about Pisces, and now it's the time of the podcast where we decide which is more gooder. Bradley, okay. which is more gooder? I I can't decide. You got to decide. Uh okay, Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, Jones. I agree. But I'm not taking anything away from Headquarters because they're both great albums. But I agree. Uh, uh, P-A-C-A-N-G-L, whatever. Yes, Pisces. It was tough for me as well. But, I mean, just having both these albums as a Monkees fan is fantastic. And listen, and I listened to them back-to-back for this podcast. And that was great as well. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad you reached out to me. It's fun to... Um... It might, my, uh, my wife certainly doesn't need to hear me talking about the monkeys anymore. So uh, <laughs> it's good to talk about them with someone else. And um, yeah, it was awesome. I, 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 one of these days, I, I, well, right away, I will send you my playlist. Of, okay. Of, of, of the monkeys, birds, the bees, and the monkeys. It plays really well. It's very cool. And, um, and then I also have a playlist of an alternate mix of, of, uh, instant replay where each song is a different take i also need to see the cover of pool it with mike in there okay yeah i'll send you that it's ridiculous okay so now before we go bradley where can people find you oh your... uh, well cool yeah thanks for asking um yeah. um the my moniker is the the perfectly violent dream and uh you can find music on uh, itunes and Bandcamp. um and, it, and my my website is listen to bradley um l-i-s-t-e-n-t-o bradley b-r-a-d-l-e-y.com and uh thanks thanks for asking yes i will put the links to all that in the description of this podcast cool all right so that is it i want to thank bradley for talking uh the monkeys with me i always like you said i don't have a wife so i have nobody to talk to the monkeys with (laughs) and uh i i love talking to the monkeys and we first bonded over the when we found out that we were both monkeys fans we were I'll tell you when I knew uh, Bradley was a bona fide Monkees fan. We were talking about my, one of my favorite songs, Pleasant Valley Sunday. And there's the, there's the video of it. And I said, you know, there's something that always struck me strange about that. And without me saying a word, you just spoke up and you go, you know what? It's a henna tattoo on his hand. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's. Uh, uh, I'm glad that, that my, uh, my love for this stuff is somehow put to good use. (laughs) (laughs) So I, by the way, somewhere on SoundCloud too, I I have a cover of, uh, uh, the porpoise song, um, that I did. And if, if you, if you find it, it's, it's sort of a demo, but it was one of the first things I recorded when I, when I had a home studio. And uh, I, I always think I'm going to do like a Monkees tribute album someday, but who's going to listen to it? <laughs> I don't think that people on Zilch will listen to it. They go there because they want to hear the Monkees. They don't need to hear another musician saying, oh, check out, check out 
my page leave a comment below don't forget to click subscribe all right uh, that's it uh, once again right, i want to thank bradley thank you for doing this for me sir thank you scott i had fun i appreciate it and we'll see everybody here next time on the which is more gooder podcast to support this podcast please go to www.patreon.com scott white and give what you're able if you're listening on itunes please give a review that should help people find this podcast and no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Which is More Gooder podcast. Cross the streams. This has been a Cross the Streams. Media Podcast.